says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Well, Father, thank you so much for you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy that met us here today. As we awoke, Lord, as we woke up to walk with you, to come to this place, to worship you, to say thank you. Lord, now at this time, we we need to hear from you. And we know that it's your spirit that does the teaching. Only you can go to those areas of our life and speak to us. And Lord, if we hear from you, we know we're okay. If we can just hear your voice, our shepherd, to our life, we know we're going to be okay. So we pray that you would speak and teach Help us to be receptive to what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. So you see here, it's trials. It says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. What this whole section is, is about getting God's perspective on a trial. Trials are, are, are common Christian experience. From Genesis to Revelation, every godly person you see in the Bible went through trials, every one of them. No one was immune, not one of them. The trials are to Christians as, as fish or water is to fish. It's, it's kind of the environment. As you've probably heard it said, you're either going in a trial, you're in a trial, or you're coming out of a trial. That's pretty accurate, don't you think? I mean, it, it doesn't always have to be a big trial. But it could be big, it could be small, but they're trials. But they're, they're so familiar to us. That's why Peter writes in 1 Peter 4.12, he says this, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials which try you as though some strange thing were happened to you. They're so common, Peter has to just say, guys, new Christians, just understand it goes with the territory. Just understand as a Christian, and possibly because you're a Christian, you're going to go through trials. Now, having this kind of, this truth, this foundation set, that trials will come, that we're not immune, it, it helps us to at least, in, in part, answer the question of, why is this happening to me? Because when trials hit us, that's the first question we say is, why, right? We look up and say, why, God? And we, we start questioning what, what's going on. But if we could look at it from a biblical perspective, the why is, Jesus told us Why? For several reasons. I mean, we live in a fallen world. We have a, a devil, an adversary that roams around seeking, seeking to devour us. And so, you know, just by the sheer fact of being in this world, in a fallen world, we're, we're going to go through trials. So it helps us to at least answer that in part of why. But, you know, it, it, no one's immune from them. Sometimes I, I think we also think that through trials... That, that 
they're unique to us. Like no one else is going through what I've gone through. And that's kind of true to, to a degree. But around the world, this is what First uh, Peter 5.9 tells us. He tells us there that be sober and vigilant because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast, steadfast in the faith. Here it goes. Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood around the world. I don't know why that gives me a little comfort. You know, just understanding what I'm going through is not unique to me. There's a fellowship of other people that have gone through that. And they would understand me. And of course, Jesus himself understands me. But, you know, he tells us the source there. There's a devil. But Jesus also gave us another source. And that's just the world, the system of the world. That it's a fallen place and there's going to be tribulation. There's going to be trials in this world. Remember, Jesus told us that in John 16, 33. He says, in the world, you will have tribulation. You guys ever have those pocketbook promises? You ever see those? None of us like to put these, this in there, do we? This is a promise. In the world, you will have tribulation. Can you imagine waking up? What's my promise today? In the world, <laughs> you're going to have tribulation. But the, the second part of this promise is even better. He says, but be of good cheer. Why? Because I have overcome the world. So we have to understand just it's a normal fare for Christians to go through trials, goes with the territory, expect them. And, and so if, if this is the case, then we need to know what to do in them, correct? If they're going to come, which the Bible says they will come, then you and I want to know, okay, well, then what do I do when the trial comes? This, is what, this tells us what to do. This tells us how to look at them, get a new perspective on them. Not that we ever loved the trial. Notice that, first of all, it tells us, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. I remember as a new believer and I read that or heard that, and I'm thinking, huh? That's, that's, I mean, in my mind back then, I was like, that's sadistic. Who wants to go through, have joy in a trial? Yay, I have no money. Yay, I'm fighting with my wife. I mean, that's not really what it's saying, is it? It's not telling us to be happy about the trial in and of itself. It's telling us to be happy about their spiritual value. And that's a switch of thinking for us. And we have to switch our thinking in that because trials just are kind of a nuisance to us. But it says count it all joy. There's something he's telling us to do there. Notice the word count. So he's telling us to count it. We have to count the spiritual value in the things that try us. We have to count the trials as important to our spiritual growth. We have to count the trials as a means to an end rather than a roadblock in our life. To count it, to get a spiritual perspective, to see the value that they're necessary for our spiritual growth. These trials aren't joyful, are they? I don't know one person that loves trials. They're, they're agonizing. They're even painful. You know, you walk through them, and, and you have scars from the trials. They heal, but you can get scars from those trials. The joy doesn't come from the trial. The joy comes from understanding the spiritual work that they're going to do in us. So again, if they're going to come, then we want to find the value that God says will come out of those, correct? If you're in one, then God wants us to look at that perspective, changing our perspective. Because we need to know and understand how God uses them. Notice it says we can rejoice in trials knowing. Notice the next word. Knowing the testing of your faith produces patience. 
So the only way we're going to find joy in a trial is to know something about the trials. And, and that's the next part. We have to count it all joy when we fall into various trials because we know when they come, not if they come, various trials, many forms, some are large, some are small, but it's, an, it's imperative then to change our perspective and find joy because we understand the benefit that's going to come from them. And, and that's how we salvage what's going on in our life. That's how we salvage these things because we realize, yeah, in the flesh, in this world, that's uncomfortable. However, spiritually speaking, it's doing a, a tremendous work in my life. God's going deeper by knowing and understanding what they produce, it gives us joy through them. You know, because I, I think, what a nuisance, what a bother. It's a headache. This isn't necessary. This is my understanding on a human level. This is just me looking at it from a purely humanistic point of view. But it doesn't take into account what is produ- being produced on a spiritual level. And this is where James is asking us to switch, have a paradigm shift. It has been said that trials are like a spiritual gym. And, and, you know, they they make you work your spiritual muscles. If it was up to me, and if God said, Dan, how would you like your life? Just make it as smooth as possible. I never get in an argument with my wife. She just knows I'm always right. I'm kidding you. (laughs) I, I, I never have any financial trials. I never get mad on the freeway. I'm just like blessing people everywhere I go, you know? What, what kind of depth would I have? I wouldn't have any depth, would I? None at all. Because, I, I mean, I'm just, everything's so smooth. I wouldn't know how to deal with anything. Nothing would get very deep in my life. And so we need to understand that it's like a spiritual gem. God is basically putting us on the, on the weight bench and putting the weight on, which he knows, and if it's too much, he's a spotter, right? But he puts enough on there so that our faith has to push back. It's got to push back. And, and it, it's working out something that you and I probably would never want to work out. And that's the faith that God is trying to bring to the surface in our life. And I'm not saying that he brings the trials. I'm saying he will use whatever source the trial comes from for your good. So there's the devil, there's the world, but God will use them to train us, to, to make us deep. It, it's like we're being forced to work out. And, and notice that's what it says. The next thing it says there is testing our faith. It's testing our faith. It's not so much creating faith as it is testing our faith. I, I used to put in fire sprinklers in, in buildings all around LA before I, God called me to be a pastor. I actually really enjoyed it. It, but one of the things that we would do is, we, whether it's a tenant improvement or it's a brand new building, and we would put the system in, we had to test it at the end. And you would have to put double the pressure on the system than, than say it was 70 pi, 75 pounds per square inch. You would have to hook a pump on there and pump pressure into there to make it 150. And it's proof testing it. It's making sure that it doesn't fail, it doesn't leak. Now, for me, when we were doing the test, I obviously wasn't looking for it to fail. It was all, all along when we were building this thing, every turn of the wrench, every, every torque, I'm thinking this thing's gonna be tested. So I better make sure that that's tight, I better make sure the hangers are where they need to be, 
Everything is in check. So when that is proof tested, it doesn't leak. And it would have to stand there for about an hour, I believe it was. I can't remember the time. But it was just tremendous pressure put on that. Well, God in the same way is not looking for you to fail during these trials and tribulations. He's looking for that faith to come to the surface, but that you pass the test, withstand the pressure, and bring its strength to the surface. We're his project. You know, the, the faith that, that he's building in us, we, we, we're building with the word of God. And he's trying to bring that to the surface. And it's amazing. You go through these trials. Have you ever looked at somebody that maybe you've gone through a horrible trial and you think, I never want to go through that. I don't know if I could stand to go through something like that. And maybe you then go through something like that. And at the end of that, you realize, I, I really do have faith in God. Because you haven't left, you haven't bailed out. You're still holding on to Jesus Christ. It brought the true, genuine faith to the surface. This is what it's talking about. Another scripture is in 1 Peter 1.6. It says this, In this you greatly rejoice. There it is again. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Why? That the genuineness of the faith being much more, the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom you have not seen, you love. So the, another, the same thing there, that trials are not creating faith, they're bringing the genuine faith to the surface. And, and that would be a question that we have to ask ourselves. Is a faith that cannot be tested true faith? Is it real faith? If, if my faith cannot be tested, is it really faith at all? See, I, I would say no. A, t- a, a, a faith that's tested shows its genuineness. That's a person that's not leaving. Remember when those people were chasing Jesus around the lake after he fed them? They were searching for Jesus not because they wanted a savior. They were, they were searching for Jesus because they wanted a bread king. They wanted him to feed them from day to day. They wanted their temporal needs fed. And Jesus said that when they found him. He says, you know, guys, I want you to work for that food which endures to eternal life. And they said, well, give us that food. They're still thinking temporal. And then he explains in that chapter, chapter six. He says basically that my body is the bread, my blood is the drink. And then, you know, he clears it up that he was speaking spiritually. But he wanted them to have a deeper faith in just going after Jesus to fix something in their life. He wanted them to pursue him because they needed the main thing was fixed and that is their sins forgiven and eternal life first and foremost. And when he told them that, and they always remember this in John 666, it's by accident, but it clicks in my head. It says they walked away. They walked away from him because they were only pursuing Jesus for what he could give them. And when he didn't give that to them, they said, see you later. And then he turned to the disciples and said, you guys want to go away also? And Peter says, where do we go? He says, we have come to believe and know that you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. That's the faith. That's true faith. Not when everything's going right, but when everything's going bad, am I still hanging on to Jesus Christ? And it brings that to the surface. 
Once tested, it proves that there's, there's a genuineness there towards God. It brings to the surface so that you can see it and others can see it, as, as Peter said, for, the, for his praise, for his glory. The only way to bring it to the surface is to test it, to kind of burn everything out else out of the way so all you have is trusting God. You know those trials. Your spouse can't fix it. Your mom and dad can't fix it. And all you have is God. You have no means to to fix it yourself. And so you're just looking to God. You're just waiting on God. That's that that he'll allow that to bring that faith to the surface and remind us that he is the answer for us in this life. So furthermore, this testing of our faith, it tells us it produces patience. Now, why do we need patience? I need patience because I stand at a microwave and think two minutes is too long. You guys remember... I guess the microwave's been around a lot, but we were kind of poor growing up. We didn't get our microwave till in the 80s. And I remember those frozen burritos you'd put in the oven, took 45 minutes, and then all of a sudden you microwave it, it was like a minute and a half. But then, you know, as time goes by, I'm thinking, hurry up, minute and a half, hurry up. L.A., we need patience, don't we? And we I, I need it on the freeways. I live in Torrance now, and I drive to LAX. It's 11 miles. takes me 45, 50 minutes. And I'm with both-way traffic, going in, going out. And I'm thinking, Lord, why? (laughs) Why? Why can't I be richy rich with a helicopter or something, you know? But we need patience. You know, so what's he talking about here in this patience? I I think a, a way to look at it is this. Every, you know, when you have little kids, say at church, how many of you dropped your little, little ones off back there? If you haven't, you could at least understand. When you first drop those kids off in the back, what happens? That little kid's going, where's mom? Who are these weird people? And then mom and dad are kind of like looking around, saying, okay, okay. I remember when Amy dropped our kid off at preschool. And it was torture for her. It was okay with me. I'm like, he's a guy. He's going to be okay. He's three years old. He's all right. But when it came to my daughter, it was like, no, daddy. Okay, you don't have to go anywhere. <laughs> but she would go around and park and then look through the gate to see if he watched his little play with his little friends. But, you know, he'd go, mama, don't leave me. And that would always kill her. Always kill her. But you know what happens with that little guy, that little baby? When you drop them off, they go into panic mode because they don't feel your presence. But you've looked at it. You've surveyed the room. You've surveyed the people watching them, right? And then you, you know, you, you're just a call away. You're just not too far away. But the little baby, every time you drop them off and every time you pick them up, what happens to their faith in mom and dad? They're going, okay, they've come back. They've come back. And what happens? Pretty soon, they're just hanging out in there because they have the faith that mom and dad is coming back. And this is what this is, what this is speaking of, is that you and I, when we first come to Christ, we are, you know, just like physically you can be immature, just like a baby needs to learn and, you know, you get more level-headed. With Christians, when we come to faith, sometimes we, 
I don't feel his presence. I must not be saved. I don't, I don't, I don't feel him. I, I, can't, I can't see him. And we start to panic. Well, he, he allows us to go through little trials here and there. And we realize, oh, he's still there. He's still there. And then you start to grow up. When you're going through a trial, you're not freaking out. You're not running away. You're not, you know, screaming, where are you, God? Another way of looking at it is this. It's trials are like, due to us, like say we're a rubber band. A rubber band, you take it, and if you just go like that, what happens to it? A brand new rubber band, it'll break, right? But if you just kind of work it like this a little bit, and you keep working it, when you let it go, is it bigger than when it first started? It is. And that's what trials would do to us, is that our capacity is this big, but God will allow those trials to come in our life and expand. And then when we're done with that trial, our capacity is bigger than when we started. And that's the patience he's talking about. God is going to come through. He's always come through. He's going to come through again. So now I can wait for his hand in this thing. Because we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith, the Bible says. Sight is the senses. Sight is what we see, what we feel. But faith is going, you know what? God said it. He's always been faithful, and he's going to be faithful this time. And it just helps you to be more level-headed through these trials. It's how God uses it in us. And every time the Lord shows his faithfulness by coming through for us at the end or in the middle of that trial, we start to wait more patiently for him. He wants us to mature. This is, this is about maturing, and that's the next thing there. Notice that. It says, let patience have its perfect work. Let means submit, doesn't it? If I say, can, I, can you let me have that? So what's God asking for? Cooperation. Let means that you're cooperating with him. So I have, you know, I have to let God do this in my life because I, I, I need to grow. He wants me to grow, so I, I have to let him do this in my life. I've been on missionary trips. You guys were just talking about Manny and awesome things that this church is doing and supporting. But I've been to some pretty impoverished areas. We've been to Kenya, the tin city there, and parts of Mexico and Ecuador. You know, one of the things that I've noticed is how mature the little kids are. The little kids there, compared to American kids, are pretty mature. And the reason why is because they have great responsibilities, Many of them do. They, they do housework. They're helping mom and dad with the business or watching over the younger siblings so mom and dad can do that. And you see these little, you know, 10-year-old mommies and daddies taking care of the next generation. But they know what it means to be hungry. They know what it means to have been exhausted from a hard day's work. And you just see a, a maturity to them because of the life experience that they've gone through. There's a depth to them. You talk to these 10-year-olds, it's like, man, you're like a 20-year-old where I live. Because they've gone through so much. They mature fast compared to our American kids who don't experience the same kind of trials. And I remember going to Ecuador, and uh, we were building homes for parents with AIDS. Otherwise, the kids would be homeless because they couldn't work. They were you know, dying. It's an awesome ministry. But there's a little kid there. I can't remember how old he was, maybe 9, 10, 11. But he took a liking to me, just, you know, working together. And one day, he showed up on a motorcycle. I think it was just like a little 100, you know, Enduro or something. He's like, hey, do you want to go for a ride? And I said, you know, I wasn't supposed to, but I didn't want to disappoint him. So I said, yeah, let's go. And he goes, well, you, you, you ride. 
you know, and I'll get in the back. And I said, I don't know where I'm going. He goes, I'll point the way. So we get on, we're cruising down through the banana trees, tons of banana trees in Ecuador. And we come to this, it kind of opens up and there was this river and there was this big, beautiful pool and kids were jumping off. And it was like more like a village. It was absolutely beautiful. And there was a little shack over there. He goes, you want a Coke? I said, yeah, let's get a Coke. He goes, it's not, it's not refrigerated. It's going to be hot. Okay, that's all, that's all right. I can't drink your, your water. That's what I was thinking. So Coke would be fine. <laughs> so we go in there and the guy's washing out the cups because they don't give you the bottles. You got to give the bottles back. And so he pours, right after he washed this cup, he's getting ready to pour the Coke in. I go, tell him to stop. He goes, why? I said, because the water's going to mix in. I'm going to get amoebas and I'm going to get sick and it's going to be an ugly thing. And he, he looked at me almost with, with so much disgust. He goes, you Americans are fragile, aren't you? And I just started cracking up. I was like, yeah, we are, man. We can't handle your water. We, you know, they grew up with that water. Their bodies learned how to attack and kill those things. We're not, my body and your body, a <laughs> little more fragile. Well, you see, God allows trials in our life so that we're not the fragile little Americans, if you would. We're not the fragile little Christians. He wants to toughen us up, grow us up, apply his promise, and learn the good warfare. He wants us to be battle-hardened warriors that, that can drink the water of trials and tribulations without getting sick. I look at a guy like Paul the Apostle. That guy was, that, God could send that guy anywhere. He would get beat up, things would happen to him, and he would just, no wonder why he was used to the degree he was used. Where I think if I were in some of those situations, I'd be going, God, why? I'd be crying. Paul was just like, you know what? This is, this is the warfare. You know, he'd come out with scars. And, but he, he was a guy that was battle-hardened. Trials have a way of equipping us that way. And that's the next term there, lacking nothing. This is the equipped Christian, lacking nothing. You have experience with God. You've learned how to put the, the arm around. You, know, you learn the warfare. Our faith will not be quickly moved because we've, we've seen God's faithfulness and we've, seen, we've had the battles and we know God is for us and this is the trial. We're gonna get through this. The last thing we need to know about trials is that we need wisdom, don't we? And that's included in this section. It tells us that if you lack wisdom, then ask for it and he's gonna give it to you. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. Have you ever heard somebody say that person's book smart, but book smart, but not street smart? Or they're book smart, or they have no common sense? God doesn't want us to be book smart without knowing how to apply this to the street. See, we can, we can know a lot of scripture, but the wisdom is taking that knowledge of God's word and applying it. And as it's been said, the scriptures are taught twice. First, you learn it, then you experience it. And this is the experiential part. This is the wisdom part. Okay, I have all these scriptures. I, I, I know your word. But Lord, in this trial, how do I apply it? How, how do I put your word into action in this trial? God tells us that if we ask him, he'll do what? He'll do it. This, this is a promise. That if you lack wisdom, then he will give you that wisdom for the trial because every new trial needs a new dose of wisdom, doesn't it? Every new trial. Your trial with your wife, it's gonna be different than your trial with your kids or money or whatever it is. 
So you go, therefore you go, Lord, show me how to apply it. And then when, when he does, and you walk through that, that scripture becomes yours like no other scripture. You know what I'm talking about? You know scripture, but when you walk through it and God's giving you that promise, you applied that promise, that scripture's yours. Like it's never been in your life. That's what people get these life scriptures. But he says, ask believing and he'll give it to you. Ask. Now, what I believe he's telling us here is this. When you're in the fog of trial, don't forget the fundamentals. What are the fundamentals about Christianity or about our prayer life? What's the fundamentals? Does God hear prayers? You guys know that, right? Isn't that what what we teach our kids? It's the ABCs, right? That if we come to our Father through Jesus, he hears. That's the ABCs of Christianity. So we, we know that in the daylight, but what happens when it gets a little foggy? Don't throw out what you know, but what you don't know. You gotta carry what you knew, that God hears prayers into that time. Because when you're praying, God, well, why am I going through this? And you don't feel God, you don't, in a sense, you're gonna be at that place where you're going, are you hearing me? I don't know if God's hearing me. This is saying, don't doubt that. Don't doubt those fundamentals. We know that God hears. Jesus told us that your heavenly Father knows what you need before you even ask him. So ask him, and he'll give you what you need. So doubting God's willingness to hear our prayers leaves a person, as it says, unstable in all your ways. Because if you're going through a trial and you don't know God is hearing you, how unstable is that person? I mean, if, if he's the only one I can go to for help in this trial, and he, I don't believe he's listening to me, how unstable am I gonna be? I'm gonna be a nervous wreck. I'm gonna start to panic. You know what I'm gonna start to do? I'm gonna start to apply my own wisdom and try and figure out my own way out of this situation, and I'm gonna make a big mess of this thing. So it's God's will that you ask, he says he'll give it to you liberally. So, you know, when in, in trial, maybe you're in a trial right now. We know what the Bible says. That if we bring things to God, Jesus told us how to pray to our Father. That he hears us. We have an intercessor, the Lord himself, in heaven. And so when we, pr- we know those things, maybe you're going through a trial and that's starting to be doubted. Don't doubt that. Don't doubt those fundamentals. God hears, God is working, and you just don't know, and you can't see how he's doing that yet. You know, I, I went through a trial where I sold a scooter, had this little Honda scooter, and I sold it, and for some reason, I thought I did the online release of liability. I'd sold the, the, the scooter to another, a kid that I've sold a previous one to. And, but I thought I did the recent release of liability, and all of a sudden we're getting a call from Progressive a year later. And I'm thinking, this is coming out of a scam. Why are they calling us, you know? Baby, you getting a wreck? You know, I don't, what's going on? And, and you know, I said, who is this, and why are you calling? Well, you, you got in a wreck. I said, I didn't get in a wreck. I had no idea what they're talking about. Certain, you know, we found out that the kid got in a wreck, and I don't know how it works out this way, but they didn't get his, his license, any of his information, all they did was take the scooter information and then they call us and I start talking to lawyers in our church and things like that. What do you think? Oh, they're like, you're done. <laughs> you're gonna have to pay for it. it. It was in your name. So I, I, I 
I'm trying to find this kid, so we got a private investigator in our church. And uh, I say, hey, John, I, I need to find this kid that I sold this to. He lives in the Venice area, and he used to work at that restaurant or that restaurant. So we're looking all through, and this guy could not find him. He could not find him. And this is what he does for a living. He like, finds gangsters in, in Vegas. I'm serious. And, um, you know, through, th- through this whole thing, it was quite a bit for us. You know, I mean, it's like, it was more than our rent twice, the damage he'd done. And I'm just thinking, Lord, I, I don't have the money. You know, wh- this, this seems un- unjust here, and, but Lord, I'm just going to look to you. And there were times I was just like freaking out. How are we going to do this? You know, out of the blue, out of the blue, this thing was totally dropped. Someone, it wasn't really dropped. Someone had heard what was going on with me, went around me, paid the thing. And I was like, thank you, Lord, you know. <laughs> but I, I would have never thought that. That was not my thinking. I'm thinking, well, I, kids don't need to eat bread this week. And, you know, I'm thinking all the worst. And it was fixed like that. But you know what? If I would have had to pay it, do you think God would have supplied the, the, the true bread to pay that? He would have. But so it's in those trials, like, Lord, how am I supposed to react? Because I was angry. Didn't you get angry? I was thinking, that little punk, I want to get him, you know? That's so wrong. I gave him him a deal on that scooter, you know? But God came through. And God's going to come through for you. He's going to come through for you.